Tierney. Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the Tumble Dryer Babies from England with Tell Me What to Do. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Mike Watt who's coming to town this Tuesday to the Media Club. Mike Watt on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. Also, it's election time here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and across Canada, so I thought I would play a little clip of an encounter I had with the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Every election that happens in Canada, I seem to be able to somehow reach the leaders, mainly through town halls. Occasionally, it's through official interviews. When I get to the leaders, I like to ask them some questions, and I also bring with me this weird 1960s game called the hip flip. It's sort of like Twister. The same sort of theme, idea, you know, getting people together, just like politics. And basically what it is, is there's this poll, and the poll goes between two people that face each other. So two people face each other, and there's a poll between the two people, and then there's a little flipper in the middle of the poll, and the two people have to use their hips to flip the flipper around, the hip 
flip. So I always bring this to these political gatherings or interviews. This past Sunday, in North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Liberal leader Michael Ignatieff was there. So I went down to see if Michael Ignatieff would answer a couple questions. He was not doing any official interviews, but I could still go to the town hall and ask him, say, like, one question, and as well, try to see if he'd do the hip flip. In past, I have actually achieved to get other leaders to do the hip flip. Prime Minister Paul Martin, yes, a prime minister, actually did the hip flip. Jean Chrétien, oh, another prime minister, he did the hip flip. Leader of the NDP, Jack Layton, did the hip flip as well. In fact, he actually agreed to a one-on-one interview, and you can actually check that out at nardwar.com or just type in Nardwar Layton to YouTube. Actually, if you want to type in Nardwar Ignatieff into YouTube, you can actually see what I'm about to play right now, the audio of. I also approached Canadian Conservative leader in 2004 and 2006, Mr. Stephen Harper, and I asked if he would do the hip flip with me. But he declined. So with all that little bit of background information, this right now is my attempt here to do the hip flip with liberal leader Michael Ignatcheff on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Mr. Ignatcheff, welcome to North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, a.k.a. Moodyville, which had the first electric lights north of San Francisco. Go North Vancouver. Now, speaking of history, your great-grandfather or grandfather, William, had drinking games and also wrote articles about drinking. Speaking of games and such, Mr. Ignatieff... Sounds good to me. There is a game in Canadian history called the Hip Flip Game. The Canadian political Hip Flip Game. You were earlier this morning with Paul Martin. Paul Martin did the Hip Flip Game. John Cretchen did the Hip Flip Game. Jack Layton did the hip flip game. Whoa, oh my God. Stephen Harper did not do the hip flip game. His security carried me away. We do, this is kind of fun. This is, whoa. Stephen Harper, please, will you do the hip flip? You guys don't have to carry me. Will you, Mr. Ignatcheff, do the hip flip game with me? Okay. Oops. I've got no choice at all here, folks. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Mr. Ignatcheff, and doot doot a loot do. Doot doot a loot do. Almost doot doot a loot do. Doot doot a loot do. Almost doot doot a loot do. Uh, you almost got it, Mr. Ignatz. You got the hip flip. All you got to do, do do the loot do. Do do the loot do. Do do the loot do. 
things happen to me in politics, but that is definitely a first. Maybe you don't follow the path others have made for you. So what if you won't do what you're supposed to do? Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Song for Margaret Trudeau by Mackenzie King. And before that, a town hall meeting where I, Nardwar, the Human Serviette, encountered Michael Ignatcheff and was able to ask a question and tried to get him to go do 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 Right now, in the interest of fairness, I played a song relating to Margaret Trudeau, 
the Liberals? Time to play something by Tommy Douglas, founder of the NDP CCF in Canada. It's something, a little record here, that is going to be introduced by Pierre Burton. And right after that, going to play something by the Conservative Party. Yes, I'm going to play a recording from the Deef. Diefenbaker talking about Winston Churchill and then an interview with the crown prince of punk rock Mike Watt on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio uh, show. Track number one is the one we need from number Tommy Douglas because he is number one Tommy Douglas is on the Nardwar human serviette radio show. put on the wrong record there. So we'll just transfer that over right now. And here is Tommy Douglas, introduction and reply, introduction and commentaries by Pierre Burton. There are only a few public figures in this country who are instantly identifiable by a single name, and one of them is Tommy. Tommy Douglas. He has been Tommy for 40 years. As a prairie preacher, as a member of parliament, as Premier of Saskatchewan, as a Member of Parliament again, and now as he retires from the leadership of the New Democratic Party as a Canadian institution. Few Canadians have been introduced more often at uh, public meetings and conferences and banquets and thousands of other gatherings. And when he's introduced by the chairman, they usually give some biographical details about him, and there's quite a lot to say about Tommy Douglas. He was born in Scotland, the son of an iron molder came to Canada at the age of 14, lived in Winnipeg at the time of the general strike, which certainly had an effect on his social outlook. At university, Brandon College, McMaster, University of Chicago, he was a brilliant debater, a gold medalist. I'm certain his sermons were a delight. He was ordained in the Baptist Church. His first call was to Weyburn, Saskatchewan, but he's been a politician for 36 years. He was first elected to the House of Commons in 1935, re-elected in 1939, and after he resigned to accept the leadership of the Saskatchewan CCF, he won in 1944, as almost everybody knows, a smashing victory. He was Premier for 16 years until he accepted the leadership of the New Democratic Party in 1961 and re-entered the House of Commons. Quite a career. Chairman loved to dwell on it when introducing him, and they usually sprinkle their introductions with laudatory remarks. Tommy reacts uh, to such introductions with modesty, persistently wondering with some humor what the fuss is all about. Here he is at the beginning of an important address to delegates to a meeting of the Cooperative League of the United States. May I thank you for your very fine demonstration of welcome. May I thank you, sir, for your very kind words of introduction. Being a politician, I don't always get such laudatory introductions. (laughs) I get introductions of all sorts and descriptions. I think my strangest introduction, however, was once going to a theological college where I was to be the guest speaker at the graduation dinner of these young clergymen. And I was introduced by one of the young theologues. 
And he got up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, he said, it is my privilege this evening to introduce the premier of the province. He said, this would make some people nervous, but it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> he said, for several years now, I've been helping to run a church camp for boys and girls. One summer, we had a little boy come to camp whose name was Peter. Peter got along fine at the camp until one night for supper, they had prunes. Peter didn't like prunes, so he wouldn't eat them. Lady in charge came around and said, Peter, eat those prunes. No, don't like them. Peter, she said, eat those prunes or God is going to punish you. Well, that was different. Peter started to eat the prunes. <laughs> and he ate the prunes until he got down to the last one. He just couldn't take any more. Punishment or no punishment, he'd had it, so he quit. Lady came back, she said, Peter, eat that prune. No. Well, she said, Peter, we're going to leave that saucer there and you'll be glad to eat it. After supper, the children played ball. Later on, they went off to bed. During the night, one of those storms that we get on the prairies came up. Thunder rumbled, the lightning flashed, the wind shook the old building, the rain came down in torrents. Children were terrified. They huddled together in the center of the dormitory floor. Those in charge came in, quietened them down, got everybody back in bed. Everybody tucked in, except one. Peter's bed was empty. Lady in charge said, I think I know where he is. Down to the dining room she went, turned on the light. Here was Peter sitting up at the table eating this prune. He looked up at her with these big blue innocent eyes and he said, Say, that was a hell of a fuss about one little prune, wasn't it? And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and an Ardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. And we have a caller on the line. Hello, are you there, caller? Yeah. I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. And who are you? Um, I'm Mike Watt. I'm bass player from San Pedro, California. Mike Watt, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Hey, thanks for having me aboard, Nardwar. And can you just... what, are you some kind of napkin? I'm the Human Serviette. Okay. <laughs> to, to help serve the youth, and actually to help serve the listeners, too. Is it possible... Oh, very kind of you. Yes, and is it possible, Mike, for you to help serve the listeners a bit more, because you served the listeners so well with all your music over the years, just to speak up a tiny little bit here, because the connection... Yeah, I'm, a, I'm on a leash, you know, so they're not the best thing. Uh, but I will be louder for you. Thank you so much. So, Mike Watt, you were from San Pedro, but you were conceived in Chicago? That's right, and I was born in Virginia. My father was a sailor, and uh, about 10 years old, moved to California because it was closer to Vietnam. San Pedro, California. I know a little bit about the punk rock scene from San Pedro in California, all because of the Minutemen and their reactionaries right. in the 1970s. What about the 1960s garage rock scene in San Pedro? There's a band called the Grapes of Wrath from the 1960s from San Pedro that have a song in one of those garage punk unknowns comps called Cause It Was Her. Do you know anything about the Grapes of Wrath from San Pedro at all? No, but that's very interesting. Uh, I was only 10 when I got there in 68, so I was kind of out of touch. I got into playing music when I met Dee Boone, uh, 13 years old, so 1971. First gig we went to was T-Rex, and by that time, 
the club scene, which uh, garage bands came out of, was gone. It was all arena rock. Were there any garage rock bands, Mike Watt, left over from the 60s when you got there that you know of? No, it was gone. All I knew about was the Long Beach Arena, the Long Beach Auditorium, the, the Forum. It was big gigs like that. I didn't know about Littleness until Punk came in 77. And you are Mike Watt. And Mike Watt, who else is in your band these days? Who's in your band? Well, what you're going to see Tuesday is a band called The Missing Men. And the guitarist is Tom Watson from Manhattan Beach, California, and Raul Morales, who is from the 1990s San Pedro punk scene. And how did you meet Raul? Because he also played in the band The Leeches, The Amazing oh, Leeches. Right. And they, they kind of have links to garage rock uh, on a music vibe, you know? Exactly, uh, and they wear garbage. That's who I first saw him play with. He was playing drums standing up with a garbage sack over his head. The Leeches representing San Pedro, just like Mike Watt. What was it like? Uh, if you live there, you say Pedro. I, I, even the Latin people. I don't know why. It's a colloquialism. What exactly is the slang there for San Pedro? Because there's some slang out of San Pedro, isn't there? Well, it should be San Pedro, huh? It's an Espanol word, but uh, we say Pedro. Are there some other slangs from San Pedro at all? Like any other? Oh yeah, sl- big time. What are some of the slang? A lot of slang. Like what are some of the slangs? Can you give some examples at all? Uh, Mersh. Oh. Something that's just plain and uh, not too special and no personality. We have Econo for stuff that's not materialistically, uh, you know, uh, stuck up with. We have uh, Chow for eating. Uh, we have Spiel for uh, talking. Uh, we have uh, Conk for going to sleep. We have a lot of them. And you are Mike Watt, and you will be yeah. here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Mike Watt, this Tuesday, yeah. April the 26th, at the Media Club. And if anybody... i tell you, Vancouver, British Columbia, was the first foreign country I ever played in with the Minutemen. It's the first time we played another land besides the U.S. It was Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And if anybody has any questions for Mike, it's 604 822 604 604 UBC CITR. If you have any questions for Mike Watt, who's going to be here this Tuesday, April 26th, at the Media Club. Who else is traveling with you right now, Mike? Do you have a photographer touring with you on this tour? Uh, you know, you've heard about Miss Peak, yeah. A bunch of people, you know about this kickstart.com. They uh, got money together to fund her photographic documenting this tour. You know, this tour is 51 gigs in 52 days. She's rode alongside of us and living like us and uh, taking pictures of not just us, but the U.S. and Canada. You know, we already did three Canadian gigs earlier in the tour. And uh, also the pads we conk at and uh, gas stations we stop at, chow pads, stuff like that. How many rolls is she shooting a day? I heard she's shooting like four rolls of film a day. It's about five or 600 pictures. I don't know how many rolls that is because sometimes she uses a digital camera too. 
And what's her name? Her name's P. What number P-A-K. two? A.K. She's uh, born in the U.S., but from Thailand. Mike, what number tour is this that you are on? Do you still keep track? <laughs> if you call a tour more than a month, it's, yeah. It's in the 60s. <laughs> in the 60s? I don't want to get too specific. What? I've been doing it for 30 years, yeah. Yeah, Mike, what is not a tour? What is not a tour? Because, you know, a lot of bands nowadays, they'll fly to, say, a town and do a couple gigs and then come back. Is that considered a tour? What is a tour? That ain't a tour. That ain't a tour. That's, uh, you know, a couple gigs, like you said. <laughs> a tour is a mission, and, you know, it's a journey. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's, you know, it's got a life of its own. It's, a, it's not just leaving your pad for a little bit. It's, it's Sally Forth, you know, like Don Quixote, one of them things. Mike Watt, what about yeah. Hovercraft? The last time I saw you, I actually talked to you while I was waiting in an alley trying to get into a hovercraft gig in Vancouver, BC, Canada at the Commodore Ballroom. Do Commodore you rem- Ballroom, I remember. That was 16 years ago. Yeah, what was that exactly going on there? I still kind of forget. It was like something to do with Eddie Vedder was playing drums and you were playing bass and it was Eddie Vedder's wife. What was this hovercraft? Well, no, no, you said hovercraft. That was their band. And then there was another band, Blue Fighters. And it was both those bands' first tour, and uh, members from both those bands were actually my, in the band I was playing in, too. So there were three bands that night. I was touring for my Ball Hog or Tugboat album, and they, uh, yeah, it was a trippy thing. I, I haven't done many tours like that. Also, you came to Vancouver on July the 6th, 1984, and you played the Waterfront. This was with the Minutemen, the Waterfront. That's right. That's the first time we played a foreign country. And I've seen some pictures that local photographer Bev Davies took of that particular gig. I've never seen pictures of that, but we were very excited. We thought it was quite an honor for us to play uh, True North, you know? We'll, we'll try to get you some of the picks, Mike. And in one of the picks, there's a pick of D. Boone. And on yeah. D. Boone's shirt, there's some slogans. It says, fight using your balls. And Oh, yeah. He had me write that. <laughs> That's my writing. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Is it a green shirt? It looked to be more like a gray. It's a black and white. It looked almost like a gray sort of shirt, a work shirt, sort of. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a work shirt. Uh, yeah, I remember. He had me write that. And it was also. <laughs> and it was also. Oh, wow. And it was also written on it, People's Victory in El Salvador. That's right. That's right. I remember that clear as a bell. I don't remember him wearing it at that show. That show was a little murky for me. I, I, I remember it was, there was a Canadian band with this. I think they were called the Bill of Rights or something. You got it exactly. That's amazing. You can remember that. The legendary Bill of Rights from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, I tell you, that was a very exciting gig for us. Like I said, we never played on your side of that line. <laughs> had, you ever been out of, had you ever been out of the country before or had you been to Europe at that point? No. Uh, oh, yeah, we had. We had been to Europe with Black Flag. Oh, shit. It was the first time... I cussed. I didn't mean to do that. It was the first time we played your land. Oh, Mike, what? We also did some benefits for uh, those people in uh, Mexico. 
in Tijuana, those suspects, uh, solidarity with the people of El Salvador. Mike, what those slogans, fight using your balls and people's victory in El Salvador, how long were they on D. Boone's shirt? Was that only for the Vancouver gig? No, 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 no. I first put it, he had him, he writes them on in Hollywood. At a club called the Anti Club in Hollywood. That's where they first got written on. Mike Watt, does your boat still have a Canadian yak sticker on it? <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah, there's a yak on each side of that. <laughs> How do you know this? <laughs> you're right, you're right. Did you ever get a call back from Kelly Blue Book to thank you for upping the value of the Ford Econoline van? <laughs> they had me. Yeah, they had me do something. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's a trip. I said, I said, sure, I'll talk about it. I love them. I think you really did up the value. You did a really convincing job. <laughs> I was just speaking, you know. I wasn't trying to speak as a shill, you understand? I, I just like thorn in these things. Well, I don't want to give away any secrets at all, Mike Watt. And again, we're speaking here to Mike Watt, who's playing this Tuesday, April the 26th, at the Media Club in Vancouver. If anybody has any questions for Mike Watt, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Mike, when you were showing the Econoline, your own Econoline Ford van, did you say that you had a safe in your van? <laughs> I might have said that. <laughs> and I guess that's what I was curious about. Sorry, I... We had a caller, but caller, please phone back. Maybe that's a sign that I shouldn't get into this sensitive type stuff. But what would you recommend to bands? They get a lot of merch money, and then they oftentimes lose it after the gig because they put it in a bag and the bag is stolen. Are you saying a safe is the best way to do it? Uh, yeah. Probably better than a sack. <laughs> and we have a caller. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Throw it away or stole, yeah. Caller, go ahead to Mike Watt. Sure. Uh, I, a number of years ago, I saw the movie uh, that uh, you guys put on, uh, and I thought it was really good, a really good adap adaptation of the band. And uh, I know that... about uh, Jeremy Cano? That's correct, sir, yes. Yeah, it was a documentary. We didn't really make it. It was a guy named Keith Sharon uh, and Tim Irwin, two guys. Yes. Uh I just wanted to say that uh, I know that you guys signed Husker Du to uh, SST, and uh, well, we actually put out the first Husker Du album called Land Speed Records. Land Speed, that's right, one of my favorite records. Yes. Uh, how did you get to know uh, Husker Du? By touring together. Oh, you they're, guys they're toured together. They're a Minnesota band, they're a Minneapolis band, but uh, Black Flag actually built the circuit we all tour on, you know, and so bands. You met people from out of your town. Yes. By playing with them. So that's how I met him. I just saw Grand Hart uh, four or five days. No, it was last week now. How's he doing? Paul, Minnesota. Grand Hart is an incredible guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Great drummer, great singer. Great singer, great guitarist. Is he doing anything now? Yeah, he just made a solo album with the people in Montreal. 
those Godspeed. Uh, you got Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And he's working on a new album now in St. Paul, he told me, solo album. Yeah. And he just got back from a tour in Europe. He was just in Macedonia. Excellent, excellent. Well, I hope you have a good show on Tuesday in Vancouver. I hope to be there. I haven't been there for a while, so yeah. I can't wait to play there again. Have you ever played Toronto? I was there uh, hmm, April 6th, maybe two weeks ago. That's great. Well, thanks. It was at the Horseshoe Tavern. Oh, yes. Uh, the day before, night before that, it was in Ottawa. Oh, yes. Night before that was Montreal. So All this right. will be up my fourth Canadian gig this tour. All right. Well, thanks so much, caller, and do do to loot do. Deed do. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have live here on the line Mike Watt. Mike Watt is playing Vancouver, B.C. this Tuesday at the Media Club. If you have any questions for Mike, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Mike, you break a lot of strings, don't you? Do you still break a lot of strings? Uh, when I was more younger. What is the longest that you played just with one string? You know what I'm doing? I'm doing now. <laughs> you mean like breaking three of them? <laughs> yeah, like you're at a gig I, I, and you break all the strings except one. Like how long do you go uh, with yeah. just one? I, that, when, that was when I was a, a bit younger, more young. I got, believe it or not, my hand, I don't have, I'm not as strong, you know, and uh, uh, in fact, I have used the same set of string this whole tour, if you can believe it. Tonight's the 43rd gig, and uh, I haven't changed strings yet. I, things change. I'm a 53-year-old punk rocker now, uh, Nardwar. Nardwar. I, whatever works for you, Mike Watt from San Pedro. And Mike, I'm in, so sorry. I'm just, in Seattle, Washington, in Seattle, Washington, they have this new exhibit that opened up. It's called like Nirvana: Taking Punk to the Masses. And there's a book that uh-huh. came out, and it shows all the neat stuff from the Experience Music Project in Seattle, Washington. And one of the things is a base that Donna Dresch of Team Dresch owned. And it says in a little documentation that you gave her some bass parts? Yeah, I did. She was playing for the Screaming Trees at the time. But I know about Team Dresch, yeah, and a chainsaw. And they put out the Slater Kitty. Yeah, she's, she's like one of the first Riot Girl people I met. She was playing bass for the Screaming Trees, if you're aware of them, the two Connor brothers and Mark Lanigan. From Ellensburg, Washington. First, I took them on their first two tours. She was also playing for Dinosaur a little bit. Who else, Mike, have you given bass parts to? <laughs> you have some difficult questions. Um, hmm. Who have I given bass parts to? No. Well, while you think about that, we have another caller. Caller, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead to Mike Watt, caller. Hi, I'd like to... Uh... Maybe just turn down your radio or computer. It's a- echoing a bit. Oh, yeah, sorry. Hey, Mike, uh, looking forward Hi. to the gig on Tuesday big time. Um, I just want yeah. to ask you what George Hurley's been up to, and uh, do you guys ever get together and do anything? I saw him two days before I left on this tour. When I get back, I'm going to record some stuff with him. Stuff I've oh, really? been on recording with him three years ago, but... 
it wasn't available. Do you know about the unknown instructors? Those are no. three albums we've done over the last four or five years with the poet from Toledo named Dan McGuire and a guitar player from SoCal called Joe Biza. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and also David Thomas from Peru who appears on the, one of uh, two of them. So check Great. out Unknown Instructors, but I've got recording I'm going to do. It's going to be quite surprising when people hear it because it actually took another form. Uh, we've also been asked by the, the Neutral Milk Hotel guy to be part of All Tomorrow's Party in December in England to do a duet of Minuteman songs like we did uh, wow. five or six years ago. Any other questions at all, caller? Uh no, I uh, just uh, t- want to say, look again, looking forward to the gig, and uh, see you there, Mike. Yeah, I think the last time I was in Vancouver was with the Stooges. So I yeah. can't wait to oh. play there again, as with my missing man, in this third opera called Hyphenated Man. It's a very oh. kind of weird piece. I haven't heard it yet, but looking forward to picking it up. Well, thanks so much. Like one big song in 30 parts. Actually, speaking of George Hurley, I kind of use the old Minutemen way of doing little thing, you know? Little Actually, songs. we got the idea from Wire, this English band. Right. Uh, flag, that album. This idea of little, you, you make the music in little parts. Well, thanks so much, caller, and do do loot do 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 And you're still listening to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Nardwar. We're live here with Mike Watt. Mike Watt is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday to the Media Club. I, I, I know who I gave bass parts to, uh, uh, Kira from Black Flag. I gave her some. Oh, thank you so much for coming back to that question. That's very nice of you. You really satisfy the fans and the interviewers. Thank you for that tidbit. That's amazing. Now, speaking of bass and stuff, Mike Watt, Dee Boone's mom wanted you to play bass. Why did she want right. you to play bass? Why not guitar? Like, why didn't you get to play the guitar? Oh, she already had her boy playing guitar like she did. So there was no choice. You couldn't be another guitarist? Well, she said every band needed a bass player. And speaking of the early days of the Minutemen reactionaries, before yeah. the Minutemen was the reactionaries, you played with the Alley Cats and the Plugs. What can you tell the people about the Alley Cats and the Plugs? I don't know too much about the Alley Cats or the Plugs. Well, I wasn't in their bands, but we played on the bills with them. Um, plugs were a trio... Actually, not of L.A. people. They were one. The, the main guy was a puppeteer from Mexico City named Tito. He's got a band now called Tarantula. Tito Lariva, Tarantula. Um, the drummer Charlo plays with all kinds of people like Social Distortion. Uh, Alley Cats were from Lamita. They were a trio also. And uh, they became the Zarkons. And now... Their, their main guy, Randy Stadola, he lives in San Pedro, believe it or not. Uh, both were very good bands. They had their own sound. They put out little records in those days on Danger House. In fact, the Plugs was kind of the first L.A. punk band to have their own album. It's called Electrify Me, and it's pretty good. Mike, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, we have one Ron Rays. Ron Rays, the second singer of... Second singer of Black Flag. Of Black Flag lives here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Wow. He, he has a new... He's the one you see in the Decline movie. Yes. And was he the singer that played on the Reactionaries gig, your first gig when Black Flag played in San Pedro? 
No, that was Keith. Did that you, was the first singer. Did you ever play any gigs with Ron Reyes? Uh, yeah, uh... Because he also was in Red Cross, and that's what I was that's wondering. That's right, I saw him quit on stage. I saw him quit Red Cross on stage. Same way I saw him quit Black Flag on stage. Ron had an interesting way of party company with his band. He would do it on stage during the gig. Now he's in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and he has a new band called Piggy. Oh, wow. Called Piggy, and believe it or not, they're playing with Off on Monday night. So Off, off has got Keith Morris. Yes. So we have Keith Morris and Ron Reyes on a Monday night, and then on a Tuesday night, we have Mike Watt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, you, got, you, you got an old-timer <laughs> in town. <laughs> now, uh, Keith is beautiful, you know. Uh, Ron... Uh, I remember him a little bit. I didn't know him that well in those days, but he moved to your your, your land pretty quick. The caller earlier, Mike. Flag thing. The, well, he stuck around. He had the band Circle Jerks. He did indeed, Mike. And he also had a band after that called Midget Hand Job. It was kind of spoken word stuff. That's right. We Jam Econo was the name of the movie that the caller mentioned a little while back. I checked, Mike, and at the local video store here in Vancouver, it has been rented 28 times. All right. That's how, now that I think is pretty awesome. Most stuff is rented like, you know, maybe about five times, 28 times. How is the movie done? Has it done that well in every city? Uh, Yeah, a lot of people talk. Ask me about it and stuff. So, and I know uh, people in Japan. I know there's a version over there with subtitles. Uh, hmm. Uh, I just thought the, 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 the two guys who made it were very earnest. They were too young to see us. So, kind of the story of that thing is them finding out about us. I thought if people saw that thing, saw these three corn dogs from Pedro, that they would start their own bands, too. It wasn't supposed to be about we were the greatest band or something. We were just part of this movement, and I thought if people saw that we did it, they would try it their own way also. Mike Watt, in the movie We Jam Econo, the filmmakers, which I thought was really interesting, talked to a Chris Morris, and underneath it says, Chris Morris, Hollywood Reporter. Did you ever get into any of those magazines when you were in the Minutemen? Did you ever get into Hollywood Reporter? Did you ever get into Circus? Uh, <laughs> I know we got into Cream because Richard Meltzer set me up. Well, I sent him a playing card, you know, like an ace of clubs or something, ace of spades. And sure enough, he put a review in Cream Magazine, which was pretty big time for us. Yeah, that's All amazing. Scientist rock. How about fr- uh, I didn't really read Circus or uh, Hollywood Reporter so much, but I know Chris Morris. He also re- wrote for Billboard. He wrote for a lot of different things. Mike so, Watt. Uh, Mike Watt. What about Funk, Funk Scene? Had a lot of trippy people. It was very small scene in the old days. Mike Watt. What about fear? You have said that spit from fear could really spit, and that he got his picture in Rolling Stone magazine from spitting? No, uh, Durf Scratch spit on somebody, and somebody cracked his head open. Durf Scratch is where I bought my first Fender bass from. 
and Fear the Band was how we were first allowed to play the Whiskey and Go-Go. We weren't allowed to be at the Whiskey and Go-Go because we were called the Violent SST Band, and Fear got us into the Whiskey. When you played with Fear, was there a lot of spitting? When did the spitting happen? When you were headlining a gig or when you were opening a gig or all the time? All the time, yeah. There was a lot of spitting all the time. A lot. I remember the first time we got paid was our 35th gig. It was opening for Black Flag at the Starwood. And it's on that uh, We Jammy Cotter documentary, and they're spitting on us pretty good. Uh, there was a lot of spitting when we played with Black Flag in Europe. Uh, also cups of piss and bags of, uh, you know, the other thing, and then puke, and uh, even used rubbers. Mike, what? That was weird. That yeah. was weird. <laughs> yeah, how did you know that they were used rubbers? Oh, because they were sticking on me. The lights all went off. It was in Vienna. The lights all went off. All the power went off. And when it came back on, they were sticking on me and hanging on me. Mike. Uh, yeah. By, Mike Watt, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday to the Media Club, this Tuesday, April the 26th. If anybody has any other questions for Mike, it's 604-UBC-CITR. That's 604-UBC-CITR. Mike here in Vancouver has lots of connections, as you mentioned earlier about playing the waterfront being one of your earlier gigs. And also, Mike, you recorded with a Vancouver, B.C. band, The Doers from Vancouver, B.C. That's right. That was bitching. I really dug that. The man fell off the roof. And so they needed a bass man, and I went up there. Yeah, they're, yeah, that was very sad. But he, he, he recovered. They were beautiful people, the doers. They, what were they called before that? A, a, uh, a team, a spirit, a, a unit. They had another name before that. I actually played with them, too. A lot of good people. The, the, the Wright brothers. There, there was a place there, I think it's gone now, called Starfish Room, where uh, Rob Wright played solo bass to open up a gig of mine. As Mr. Starfish Room? Yes, I think he calls himself Mr. Wrong when he does those That's gigs. Right. And yeah. I wanted. Uh, no means no. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that, Mike Watt, because the only time I ever interviewed Flea years ago, I said to Flea. Do you know No Means No? No Means No are an amazing band. And Flea said, I think No Means No are heavily influenced by Mike Watt. (laughs) This was in 91. Flea was into Mike Watt. Has Flea always been into Mike Watt? Flea's been very nice. I think their second gig was opening for the Minutemen. We've known him a long time. A sweet guy. But I think No Means No was kind of parallel to Minutemen. I don't think they're after Minutemen. I think they're alongside Minutemen. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Did you play yeah. any gigs with early No Means No, or was that the first time you... No, well, but I saw them as a gig-goer, and I dug them very much. Mike Watt, what TV yeah. shows have you been on? I noticed that you were on the Arsenio Hall show. What was it like yeah. to be on the Arsenio Hall show? It was like you on bass, Mike D on drums with like Dinosaur Jr. on Arsenio. Yeah. I bit the string off because I ended the song late. <laughs> Did you get to meet Arsenio Hall at all? Yeah, well, he was freaked out that I bit the string off. So he came up to me and he said, what, what was that about? <laughs> Are you 
Arsenio always had interesting guests, especially of the rap persuasion. Have you been asked to do any rap sessions? You know, Flea got into the rap with like Young MC and stuff. Have you done any rap at all? Have you played bass for any yeah, rap? I was bands? asked to do some raps, part of a Bone Thugs and Harmony thing. Well, that was kind of trippy. But you didn't do oh. it? I did do it. Yes, of course, man. They were beautiful guys. Yeah. Oh, where can we check it out? Like, where can we hear Mike Watts' rap recordings? Where can What releases was that on? Hmm. It was about a year ago. I wonder uh, where it is. In the, was that Sunset Studios up in Hollywood? So how does that work, Mike Watt? You just get a phone call and go down and lay yeah. down the stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that kind of stuff is scary. Like, you have to learn it right away and make something up in front of people. Not that comfortable thing. I had to do it for this lady who won a game show. Same kind of thing. There were six songs they wanted me to play on. You have to learn it, and then you have to come up with a part. That was on bass. That was on rapping. Now, game show, do you mean American Idol? That's the name of it. I love that you call it a game show. I was imagining like Price is Right or something like that when you said game show. And then I thought it must be American Idol, but I think it's great to call it that. M- Mike Watt, can you please tell me also about New Alliance Records? Because didn't New Alliance Records turn into a rap label? Uh, <laughs> no, I think they just had the same name. New Alliance was a label me and D-Boone started. Remember, you had a caller there who talked about Who's Could Do. That's what put up first Who's Could Do album, first Three Descendants album. We, we found out punk was more than just having a band. It was having a label and stuff, too. Later on, though, I heard that it turned into an actual rap label because you ended up selling the label and eventually down the line ended up into a rap label. Did you hear anything about that? No, the label went to Greg Gann and SST Records. And I think he... Uh, did some legal work to uh, ask these people not to use the same name that was doing rap records. Mike Watt, tell me about the movie Sir Drone. Ha, I love it. it uh, my best friend Raymond Pettibone made that movie. And uh, it has me and Mike Kelly in it. Uh, we play a punk band in the 70s. And is that all filmed in San Pedro? Is that a San Pedro movie? No, K-Town. Koreatown in uh, L.A. What was the first movie that you were in, Mike? Uh, Weatherman 69. And what was... The Raymond Pettibone movie with uh, Kim and Thurston from the Sonic Youth. And you are Mike Watt, playing this Tuesday, the 26th of April, at the Media Club in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And Mike, you also play with Iggy Pop in the Stooges. Yeah, this month is eight years now. What does James Williamson think of punk rock? Because he's in the Stooges now, isn't he? James Williamson. Yeah, yeah, he came back. He didn't play guitar for 30 years. So you had to probably tell him a lot about what happened in the past 30 years. What did he know about punk? Did he know about the Minutemen? Did he know about Black Flag? Mm, Well, he had a son. He has a son who knew about stuff, I I think. Uh... You know, he was younger. He probably didn't know so much about the old punk days. Uh, James Williams had told me that he he remembers hanging out with uh, uh, Johnny Ramone a little bit, but not much. They knew about it because uh, a lot of the first punk 
was influenced by Stooges. And the last version of the Stooges had James Williams. In Toronto, the Stooges, I think, got some gear stolen. Was your gear stolen? Oh, Montreal. In Montreal, was your gear stolen too? Everything was stolen, except one mic stand from Egg. And what did you lose bass-wise there? Yeah, one I used a long time. But I was philosophical about it. In fact, the Montreal gig was a very good one. And so a great gig for it to go out. And I put in long screws to keep the strap on. And somehow that screw came out. So in a way, I think it was telling me, she was saying, what, you're going to have to let me go. I don't want to bring up anything touchy at all, Mike, but how long had you had her at that point? Yeah, but, yeah a long time. long time. But it's okay. Right after that, a cat brought me at the next gig in Toronto. Uh, a young man named Andy brought me a bass. I call it the Andy bass. And then Adam Yauk gave me a bass, uh, the Beastie Band. And then uh, a man named Dan. This bass I'll be playing Tuesday a man in San Diego named Dan. So I called the Dan bass. So right away I got bases right there. So, I, I, like I said, I'm philosophical about Narwhal. Well, Mike, when you play in Hardware. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, do you need people to bring bases to the media club this Tuesday, <laughs> April the 26th? I got this Dan bass. Are you okay no. then? Sorry, brother. Mike, what, did you ever meet Captain Beefheart at all? No, but I spoke to him on the phone once. There was a call-in thing just like this. Uh, somebody was talking to him on the radio. It was a couple of years after he stopped playing music and was doing painting. And I called up. I was the last caller. And I got to say, uh, I got to ask him about particularly Personal, this album he did where you opened it up and it was so scary, these hats were, they were wearing. So I asked him about those hats. And he said, yeah, those were scary, but they were just laying around and there was no big reason behind it. So I did get to speak with him. I got to see him play, too. He was huge influence on me and D-Bone. It's incredible, Mike Watt. You got to actually speak to Captain Beefheart. You're playing yeah. in the Stooges now. And you also yeah. had Bernie Worrell on one of your records. Bernie Worrell. Yeah, he was bitching. He twirled his dentures for me in his mouth. How hard is it to get a hold of Bernie Worrell? It was coincidence. I was in the studio at the same time he was. And I just asked him, will you do Maggot Brain with me and Jay Maskin? But actually, get this. A young man that I did some country western versions of Black Flag songs with, he's jamming with them now. He asked me if I would maybe collaborate again with Mr. Worrell. Life, look, Narwell, it is a trip about these things happening to me. I can't believe they do. I really can't, you know, but I try my hardest, and I try to be sincere about it, and just, every, you know, my, my basic thing is everybody's got something to teach me, so, you know, let the free flag fly. And you are Mike Watt, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday, the 26th. If anybody has any questions, just winding up here with Mike at 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, if you've got any questions for Mike Watt. Mike, SST Records, did the cops really think it was a heroin ring? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. That was weird. I had to go to trial, and it was crazy.
Now, why was that? Were you set up? How did that happen? The old happen? days was weird sometimes with the, those people. They arrested you because they found a firecracker? Was that it? It was a firecracker, yeah. But, well, there was, there was nothing going on, you know? It was, it was in their minds. There was nothing going on. But didn't they see... No, except me uh, soldering container tuners, us trying to put out weird records nobody else would. That's the only thing that was going on. Well, I wish the cops would arrest more record labels that are doing bad music instead of record labels that are doing good music. When they showed up there, didn't the cops kind of guess that it was a record place by seeing all the records everywhere? Yeah, well, they searched the whole place, you know. Of course, we had nothing to hide. I don't know what they were thinking. You know, we knew we were under surveillance for many months. They pulled me over. Hey, I'm looking for Mike Watt, but he's got blue eyes. So we just thought, let him see everything, know everything. But still, this thing came down the day of the tour. I guess they thought all this was code words, you know. Set them. Remember, Black Flag uh, started the whole touring circuit. So it's all by phone, you know. And they must have been tapping the phones. They must have thought it was some crazy... I don't know what they were thinking, you know. But in the end, we had to leave Torrance and uh, go to the next town, Long Beach. The very day we moved, the practice pad was uh, busted open. They said, oh, you're running a chop shop, you know, where you uh, steal cars and cut them up for parts. There was crazy times in those days. When you did touring back then, you had a special thing that you could put up to the phone, didn't you? Where it could, like, pay for the calls for free by a special tone, isn't it? Some sort of thing that helped. I think helped. it was the Captain Crunch whistle. That simple? The whistle ring out of the Captain Crunch cereal box. Some shit like this. <laughs> so you just... I don't know. You just whistle it, and it would cause the call to be free? Yeah, or something like that. I don't know. I wasn't part of that. I thought it was bad karma. <laughs> Mike Watt... Punk rock history, San Pedro, have you had a sneak peek at all at Craig Ibarra's book on San Pedro punk rock? I heard there's a banned book coming out about punk rock. Yeah, he interviewed me a couple times for it. Have you had a sneak peek at all? What's going to be in it? It sounds like it could be no, amazing. I haven't, but yeah, it might be. I got to tell you, the scene was very small in those days. That's why I was so surprised to find this big scene that developed in the 90s and why I wanted Raul Morales as my drummer in the missing man. First he drummed for the second man. But I wanted, in a way, he's like a, I don't know, a grandchild, a son of our scene, you know? We always thought it was about us in the moment, but actually it had consequence and led to things down the road that we never imagined. Mike, Raw was also, I think, in FYP. When did you become first aware of FYP and other sort of punk rock happening in San Pedro? Yeah, well, these guys, they weren't from Pedro. They moved there. Uh, like Todd. Todd Conjolier, great guy, skater guy from Torrance, who set up Recess Records and now has, you know, Underground Railroad to Kennyland and... Um, Toys That Kill, stuff like this. Uh, he's an incredible, uh, what do you call, uh, prolific man. And, uh, and no phoniness. Totally uh, is what he is. I, lo I love it. He's very genuine. And he's earnest. And, uh, yeah, not jive.
I'm, I'm proud that the scene, that, that little thing in the 70s, you know, led on to this thing in the 90s. Well, thanks. Our channel. Well, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, Mike Watt. And again, Mike's coming to the Media Club this Tuesday, April the 26th in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I thought I would end right now before we kick into some selections from your new album with the Minutemen, I Feel Like a Gringo. What can you tell, what can you tell the people about that particular track there, Mike? I wrote it the same day D. Boone wrote Corona. The song you hear in the jackass stuff. We both went to Mexico with Georgie to go swimming. And uh, it happened to be our 4th of July and Mexico Election Day. And the kind of trippy perspective on that. <laughs> I'll tell you this. We, we had shaved our heads bald for the first time. You don't go to the beach for eight, nine hours in the ocean with bald head. Because you got to breathe, you got to keep your head out of the water. So we got sunburned really bad. Mike, that's I, what I could tell you, Nardwar. Well, thank you, Mike. And actually, one last thing was also wondering: there's some clips in We Jam Econo of you playing at the Irvine Amphitheater, I think it's called, or something like that. Was that's that right? Was that opening for REM? Uh, Orange County. Mm, no, all the REM stuff was on the East Coast. So what were you I doing? Think the most west we got was Columbus, Ohio. So what were you doing at that Irvine thing? It looked like a huge place. What were you doing at that arena? It looked like a giant... That was a benefit for people starving. That was a real weird situation because backstage was all this chow that wasn't getting chowed. And here it was a benefit for people starving. So we thought it was kind of weird. Who else was on the bill? Fuck, I can't remember. Oh, sorry. Well, I can't remember now, but... Uh, Miniman played a lot of benefits. We thought... That's what you do when you're in a band. And lastly, lastly here, speaking of food and stuff, Mr. Mike Watt, do yeah. you still eat squid? What's that? Do you still eat squid at all, Mike? Big time. I love it. T. Boone loved it. Thurston Moore was saying that you just stuffed your face with squid one of the times that he met you. Oh, that's a trip, because uh, the first time I met him, we chowed squid together. Yes, I heard him saying that exact story. Yeah, it really tripped me up, because my first punk rock hero was Richard Hell, and he had seen him a bunch of times. Well, You know, I never got to see him. I only knew him by the, the records, and I put a picture of him on my base, and it was like a line in the sand with the rock and roll people, man. They didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> but I didn't care by that point. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Nardwar, you're very beautiful for having me aboard and asking me these intense things. Well, thanks so Sorry much. Sorry about getting mixed up about uh, first cu foreign country gig. Actually, that was my first Canada gig was where you're talking about the waterfront with the Bill of Rights. And that's amazing. And of that was a, It was a great kind of thing for us. And fight, fight using your balls as well. Fight using your balls. God, that's a great memory. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Mike. Keep on rocking in the free world and do and do do the loot do. Yeah, do do loot do. Do do. Yeah, thank you. See, <laughs> I see ya. Bye. Out. 
Still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And you heard right there the Minutemen. And before the Minutemen, an interview with Mike Watt, who's coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday to the Media Club. Right now, I'm going to play something by. Right now, I'm going to play something by the band The Grapes of Wrath. Not from Vancouver, but The Grapes of Wrath from San Pedro. San Pedro Garage Rock from the 1960s on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show.
Lord spoke to me and he told me some things. He said, you'll begin to write with a new anointing. And through the music and through the singing, as you minister forth, that anointing will flow out from you. And if the people will believe it and receive that anointing, they'll be healed in their body. Financial need will be met. Harmony will come to the home. The yoke of bondage will be broken because it is the anointing that breaks the yoke.
Joe? I ain't no Joe. Well, y'all love this. That's <laughs> what you hear this here. King Joe. I'm King Lee. Yeah, you're right, brother Joe. I love you, man. I love you, brother Joe. Big time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 
but I can't call everybody name right now. But Joe Pete is the boss. Joe Pete is the boss. Joe Pete is the boss. I love you, Joe Boy. You good? You try to. You try your best. You try your best. <laughs> Papa in the house. Uh, you got my boy. Hey, what's his name? I forgot his name, man. <laughs> yes, indeed. Got brother, brother, butter, 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 butter. Got my nephew Dwayne. Now that's my favorite nephew there. Got brother D. Look. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many of y'all. But guess what? Stay together. Leave everything in God's hand. We'll never lose, baby. We'll never lose. Look. Got me the fat. Got big money. Got the beast. Look, it's all right. of colors, a canyon so vast, so inspiring of awe, it can only be called Grand. The titan of chasms, canyon of colors and shifting shapes. This is the pictured story of how the earth mantle of rock has been chiseled away with a river's force until it becomes a vast gash across the face of the west. These are color classics from the Arizona Highways magazine showing nature's sculpturing of Grand Canyon, Arizona. A river-carved valley 
the river itself, beginning as a trickle in the state of Wyoming and wending its course over one-twelfth the United States to a final emptying place 2,000 miles later in the Gulf of California. It is sluggish now, poised in anticipation of its plunge westward into the canyon depths. It'll sweep through the Grand Canyon chasm for 217 miles. It'll flow below the canyon rim, deep down, one vertical mile. You come upon the canyon from a flat desert plateau. There is no warning. For though its spires and pinnacles reach up higher than the highest mountains in the eastern Appalachian chain, their peaks don't show above the rim. From this eastern rampart at Desert View Lookout, the canyon is comparatively wide, yet it gives an idea of the towers and columns so densely formed deeper within its chasm. To the first white man viewing such fastness, it looked to be an insurmountable abyss. In 1540, Don Lopez de Cardenas, as captain in the Coronada expedition, may have been searching for the seven cities of Cibola, but he found here instead one of the seven wonders of the world. Modern day explorers, 1,500,000 of them each year, travel Arizona Highway 64 to the canyon's south rim or 67 to the north rim. Their travel is more streamlined perhaps, but the sight they see is millions of years more ancient than man himself. Even more ancient than the ancestors of these Hopi Indians. This background could have served many previous Indian generations. For this is not a stage backdrop. It's the real thing. A Grand Canyon setting witnessed from the southern rim, gazing into vivid immensity. Here at the site of the Grand Canyon village, with its famous El Tavar Hotel, lodges and cabins, is Hopi House, where each afternoon ceremonial dances capture visitor attention. The canyon viewpoint, a changing panorama along this southern rim. Miles of lofty peaks, monoliths, pyramids, and castles. Grand Canyon National Park, established in 1919, spans 1,008 square miles of such beauty. Nature trails are hewn from the rocks of the rim and dip even deeper into the canyon depths. Two automotive arteries branch west and east from the Grand Canyon Village Oasis. The lookout points along their route examine 70 miles of canyon structure. To the left, Maricopa, Hopi, Mojave, Pima Points, and Hermit's Rest Lookout. To the right and east, Yavapai Station, Yaki Point, Grandview, Moran Point, Wayside Museum, Lippin Point, Tower and Desert View, with the route finally circling over Suspension Bridge through the Kaibab Forest and the North Rim. One of the first canyon sights to spread before you when arriving on Route 64 is this scene, looking across a canyon whose width will vary from 4 to 18 miles. A shrine of scenic beauty. At this point, the south rim is nearly 7,000 feet above sea level, dropping down to a river level of 2,500 feet. The north rim rises even higher, and the canyon floor is an average depth of one mile straight down. The same distance measured in latitude would extend a thousand miles across our continent, from central Mexico to northern Canada. Six climatic zones are stacked vertically in the Grand Canyon Gorge, from the Arctic Alpine Rim to the semi-tropical canyon floor. And the magnificent mystery of Grand Canyon is forceful enough when seen from its edge, is even more forceful when seen inside.
So visitors by the thousands go into the canyon to examine its magnitude at closer range. Two of the most famous trails in the world snake downward from the south rim near the Grand Canyon village, Bright Angel Trail, and seven miles farther east, Kaibab Trail. By foot, Susie, I have a or great by news story with today. the college education, it's all about the see pearl the that changed a life. Would you and Allie like to help? Oh boy, would we ever, wouldn't Can we, Al? Boy, we sure would, Jim. Well, Allie, I have a man's part here that really needs dignity. Could you play that? Almost certainly. Have you ever seen a more dignified alligator in your life? All right, you are Abu <laughs> El Akbar. Oh, that's easy. Abu Duba Akbar. No, no, Abu El Akbar. Abu Duba Akbar. Well, you don't have to pronounce his name. You just do your Good part, thing. okay? Here we go. Abu El Akbar, it is said, was the richest man in the land. Oh, richest man in the land, huh? His billowing robes were golden. Fine jewels adorned each hand. Uh, Jim, I don't have any hands. Does that make any difference? No, Allie. Oh. One so rich should be happy and gay. But Abu El Akbar, oh no. I wasn't. How come? He spent his days in wandering, searching high and low. Asking of every friend and foe. Where is the pearl of great price? He climbed the lofty mountaintop and crossed the driest oh, plain. Oh, oh, it's hot here. Oh. He searched the deepest valley, but his efforts were in vain. Where is the pearl of great price? Into the steaming jungles he trod. Oh, oh, bugs, bugs. Prepared for any test, his shoulders drooped, his oh. body arched. Oh, look at the scratches on my body. But he would never rest. He had tried his very best to find oh, the pearl of oh. great price. Jim, I haven't said nothing yet. When does my part come in? Your part's coming up, Susie Moffat. Okay. He followed a sparkling silvery brook till it joined the ocean's roar in a thundering falls of laughing foam. <laughs> Susie, that's not... That, no, Susie, that's the brook laughing. That's not your part. Oh, I thought He's that was my not part. been here before. He stood and gazed at the view below until it was nearly... Hello, nine. everyone. This is Henry Harrison, co-host of the PTL Club Ministry on television and radio. You are about to hear a message that, if you will apply it, will change your life. These are not just idle words. This is the living Word of God that's been proven daily in the life of Jim Baker. Now, I've had the privilege of walking side by side with Jim day in and day out for many years. I've seen impossible mountains moved in practically every area of our lives. I know these principles are sound and the incidents absolutely true. Jim preached this message that you're about to hear on the occasion of my ordination to the ministry. Listen now for a real mountain-moving experience as shared by my dear brother, the president of the PTL Television Network, Jim Baker. I cannot fail the Lord. And I know times, Henry and Susan and audience here, there are many times when you and I, Henry and Susan, we have felt we have failed God or right on the brink. But you know, that was just the time we're going to break through to a new beginning and a new victory every time. And I want this today. As Henry is being ordained into the ministry, if every person would take the charge that has been given by Pastor Hall, that was given by Sister Hall, 
By the way, Sister Hall, I think that was the greatest charge I've ever heard given to any woman on the face of this earth. In fact, I ask your husband permission to have it printed. Ha <laughs> ha